Right now, you can get both Sprint's unlimited plan and the iPhone XR with its amazing camera included for just $35 per month per line for five lines. All you need is approved credit and 24-month installment billing. No trade-in required. Visit a Sprint store, Sprint.com, or call 800-SPRINT-1. Phone $15 a month after monthly credit supplied within two bills. If canceled early, remaining balance due. Unlimited basic. After 630-20, pay $32 a month per line with AutoPay. Data deprioritization during congestion. Speed maximums, use rules, and restrictions apply. Right now, you can get both Sprint's unlimited plan and the iPhone XR with its amazing camera included for just $35 per month per line for five lines. All you need is approved credit and 24-month installment billing. No trade-in required. Visit a Sprint store, Sprint.com, or call 800-SPRINT-1. Phone $15 a month after monthly credit supplied within two bills. If canceled early, remaining balance due. Unlimited basic. After 630-20, pay $32 a month per line with AutoPay. Data deprioritization during congestion. Speed maximums, use rules, and restrictions apply. for listening to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast, keeping you up to date with the latest in American soccer. And don't forget to subscribe. Hello, listeners, and welcome to this edition of Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast. Stephen Jodder and Amon Kafai, and it is our USSF Presidential Election Preview Show, and we got some awesome guests joining us. Yeah, we do, Stephen. Jeff Carlisle and Paul Candy are joining us from Orlando, and that's where the election is going to take place. We've been waiting for this day as U.S. soccer fans involved in the media. We've seen the vicious attacks on Twitter and other means of social media. The day has come. Saturday, February 10th in Orlando, Florida, we are going to see the next U.S. soccer president crowned. It's insane. Honestly, it's insane because it, it's it's felt so long since we've talked about this, but it, it really hasn't. And just briefly, Armand, tell us how we got into this position. So plain and simple, we're going to jump to May, actually. Steve Gans and Paula Point were the first to actually openly say, we want to challenge Sunil Gulati. And it'd be the first time since 98 the presidency would be challenged. Yes. Things changed completely on October 10th when the U.S. missed the World Cup by losing to Trinidad and Tobago 2-1. to mm-hmm. All of a sudden, you saw people clamoring for change. They wanted Gulati to resign immediately. They want Bruce Arena out. And they wanted change. It just it, it was almost like you just opened a door of just madness. You saw Eric Winalda come in October 21st. Paula Point announced November 1st. Carlos Codero, which actually was kind of a rebellion from Gulati because this was before he announced that he would not continue running and on November 2nd. I just paused there for a second because I want to tell listeners we're going to come back to this point because I think it's very interesting because he's a front runner right now and he kind of slid – in the shadows of everybody else, and suddenly here he is. I mean, Armand's going to talk a little bit more about this after he goes mm-hmm. through this uh, yeah. timeline. Uh, Paul Caligiuri, former U.S. Men's National Team player, announced on November 3rd. Cal Martino, the guy you see on NBC Sports, announced that he was going to run on November 6th after saying he would not run. We saw lawyer Michael Winograd announce on November 10th. Finally, on December 4th, we saw Gulati announce that he does not want to seek his fourth term. And on December 5th, we saw the now 
favorite, some Soccer United marketing president, Kathy Carter, run, announced that she wants to run for president of U.S. Soccer, taking a leave from some. Hope so, then announced on December 7th that she wanted to run too. On December 18th, we saw that list trimmed from 9 to 8. We saw Paula Point not get the three nominations, and we have our eight that are listed now. Yes, and I do want to tell listeners that when Kathy Carter submitted her bid for the presidency, sources tell Uncle Sam that it was some sort of setup in Galati and Garber kind of forced her into the position. Now, Garber and Galati have denied those rumors, but those are what our sources are telling us. And it's not even uh, sources at this point. We've seen the article written by Grant Wall that detailed a dinner with the New York delegation, the New York State Soccer Association, in what was Gulati and Garber at the dinner introducing Kathy Carter and seemingly getting their vote for her. It is. It has been a wild ride in the U.S. soccer presidency, and I've been sitting here for the longest time wondering so many questions. What is going to be answered when this is all done? I don't know. I don't I, know, Stephen. It's insane because we also have a very diverse background. Now, you have players like Hope Solo. You have analysts who were once players, Martino and Walnalda. You have two attorneys, Michael Winograd, Steve Gans, Paul Calgary, who, who was a former international who seems to have actually fallen off the, the map when it comes to this process. Kathy Carter, obviously the sum and the conflict of interest and, and the huge discussion around that. Armand, Carlos Cadero, talk about the, talk about his candidacy. It was interesting because not a lot of people are talking about Carlos Cadero. And to be quite honest with you, I am not surprised that he's a favorite. I am not surprised that he's a favorite at all. Plain and simple, when he announced that he was going to run, many people were reporting that Gulati kind of saw this as a little bit of a rebellion of sorts. That he's like, hey, wait, you're my right-hand man. Now you're going to start running for president? That's kind of that's kind of backwards. I, I feel like if he had run with Gulati's blessing, that he would be the favorite, the consensus favorite. And I don't even think we'd be having a discussion at this point. But because he ran kind of against Gulati of sorts and kind of a rebellion – we're seeing Kathy Carter now have a realistic shot and probably one of the best shots to win the presidency, plain and simple. I think it's a really interesting thing. I think he is very status quo, but not yeah. really. Well, But not really. But not really. But some of the biggest issues from each candidate was equal pay, the DA slash youth development, scouting in the national team, and pro-rail. Armand, what do you think is the biggest problem in u.s soccer and which of these issues do you think carries the most weight in this election well plain and simple what got us in this position what got us in this position i would say it was missing the world cup yeah it was missing the world cup plain and simple there's so many different issues going on steven and quite frankly i think the biggest issue has to revolve around the national team because that's what got us here in the first place I think equal pay is up there. And I think the great thing about this election is I think we're finally going to get it. We're finally going to get the equal pay all around for women and men. I'm not sure if youth development is such a big issue as many people are making it out to be. 
And I sure don't think pro uh, promotion relegation is, even though that is the most talked about thing, because I think it's the most fun thing to talk about. Don't you want to see a team like Louisville City move up to the MLS? Absolutely. But plain and simple, it is not the most important thing on there. I think it is the national team. I think it is expanding that pool of players. I think it's all that good stuff. It's it's not really – I really don't think it's youth development because I think the players are developing fine. It's about expanding that pool. It's about establishing better connections all throughout soccer. What got us to this point and how we're going to make sure that this never happens again? Because this never should happen again to a team, to a nation like the United States of America. I 100% agree. I think the biggest issue – regarding the u.s presidential election is actually going to be about the change that they could bring equal pay great the problem was or is a lot of these candidates never really spoke about what they could do about the women's games after equal pay we heard equal pay even hope solo kind of fumbled around with equal pay she couldn't really she had a difficult time explaining after equal pay what she wanted to do with the the women's game most candidates had that issue. The DA and youth development. I think that ran its course real quick because people realize how much change can you bring there. There are small issues, but ultimately that falls on the state associations. That falls on local community. If anything, it should be coaching more so than youth development. We have talented players. I just don't know how many good coaches there are to coach these players into the next Christian Pulisic or a Michael Bradley or a Josie Altador. Promotion relegation, like you said, it's a fun debate. I just don't know what Eric Molnalda and Kyle Martino wanted to do with promotion and relegation. I know Michael Winograd had his idea and I know other candidates like Steve Gantz ran down the middle and saw both sides. I think it's one of those topics that everybody loves to discuss but it could be, I guess, political suicide for some of these candidates to really push it because MLS was never going to give their support behind a, a, a player or a, a candidate that was going to support promotion relegation. Plain and simple, when we talk about promotion relegation, I do think it is a fantastic idea. I think our, a lot of our listeners are for a promotion and relegation, but at the same time, no more of this middleman crap anymore, Stephen. I'll be straight up with you. Someone needs to come out and say if they're against it or for it once they are elected. I don't want to hear this crap. Oh, maybe. Oh, no. Are you for it or are you against it? Plain and simple. Be straight up. No more of this. I don't want this dancing around the bush. Oh, you know, both sides. You know, yeah. You need to go and you need to realize a, pro a promotion relegation. It needs to be a hard-line stance. Either your four system to being developed or... Or you're not for it at all, and you forget about talking about it. Plain and simple. It is not the biggest issue on there, but it is the potential to be the biggest issue on there at the same time, if that makes any sense. In addition to an, an open pyramid, would be massive. You see all these youth development issues and maybe expanding the pool. With open pyramid, you solve a lot of these problems. No. I, think, I think the most underrated thing, sorry to cut you off, Steven. The most underrated thing has to be how we're going to help the NWSL. Because oh, yeah. before this election, Stephen, I'll be honest with you, I did not care that much for the NWSL. I'll be plain and simple. But the more I've read about it, the more I've talked about it, the more I've we, I spoke to candidates about it, the more I've thought about it, plain and simple, the NWSL is a league that we have to care about. 
because our women's game is falling behind. Plain and simple. Teams mm -hmm. are investing. Mm -hmm. Nations are investing. So what are we going to do for the NWSL? Equality should be a given. It should be done. That shouldn't be what we're talking about. That should be an issue that passed. And thankfully, all the candidates are addressing it. So we're good. However, plain and simple, the NWSL needs some help. And I really hope that doesn't get thrown underneath the rug as, you know, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let's, let's just worry about something else. <laughs> we need to really worry about that, and we need to figure out a way to make that league even better. 100%. So those were the issues that all the candidates discussed. Uh, but Paul Kennedy, editor-in-chief of Soccer America, will be calling in. Alrighty, listeners, joining us right now is Paul Kennedy. He is the editor-in-chief of Soccer America. You can follow him at Twitter at PKEdit. Paul, how's it going? Great. How are you guys doing tonight? Are right, going great. Yeah, good. How's the, uh, how's the weather down there in Florida? must be nice. A lot warmer than it is here in Wisconsin. Um, it's pretty warm, although just like the last time I was here for a U.S. soccer election, which was in 1990, I... Not stepped out of my hotel since I got here, and I would be surprised if I do before I leave on Sunday to go back home to sunny California. So at least for me, the weather is it was good there when I left, and uh, a little warm here for my liking, but um, uh, it's uh, it's great here. Yeah, that's awesome. But uh, what's the mood like down there as people are starting to uh, come in? Um, I think everyone, it's, you know, it depends on who, who you talk to. Um, everyone has their own take on what's going to happen. The, each of the candidates and their uh, groups working with them are, you know, pushing what the storylines, which they want to have pushed. Um, and I think uh, the one thing that I found right away compared to some of the other elections where they've been contested elections is the hotel here is uh, monstrous. Uh, one of the biggest hotels I've ever been at in terms of just the size mm. of it, which is actually good in that people are more easy to get separated. Um, and whereas, uh, you know, the intensity level is pretty high. I was uh, in the lobby before I went back up here to work for a while. And uh, everyone you talk to, they're talking a mile a minute. And uh, it's like they've been on coffee all day, but it's been because they're all pitching with their, whoever their candidate is. Or if not, they just want to talk soccer and, uh, <laughs> uh, which is great, but it's it's uh, it's uh, pretty amazing how passionate people are about whatever the subject is. Now that, that that is pretty cool, Paul. And you said you did cover your first election in 1990. What's the difference yeah. between how is it going right now in 2018 and what was going on in 1990? Um, in many ways, it's not a lot different in the sense that uh, I'll, I mean I would say a lot, but uh, I can I can you know. Any number of people uh, who were around then are around still here, which shows how the the federation, the people involved in it at the uh, the national council level, which is sort of the political aspect of it, don't change that much. Mm -hmm. I think the one thing that's different is uh, obviously the uh, the world in which soccer is is different. You know, we have uh, you know the world of social media, the world of podcasts, which you guys do, mm -hmm. and that's uh, so that's. So that the discussion that's going on is a lot different than 
it was in 1990, and you have a lot of mm. di- more different topics to talk about because right. then in those days, you know, you, you really didn't have a pro league. The issue was in 1990 was, you know, was were we still going to get the World Cup in 1994 because people were so unhappy about the lack of progress and some other issues that uh, they were threatening to pull it. Um, oh. And I think what, what, what makes it interesting now is just, uh, you know, the number of topics people are interested in and people, you know, have gripes about. And at the same time, I would say it shows the progress that's been made because uh, the reason why we're sort of here is that, um, you know, tremendous progress has been made over the last uh, 28 years since that last election here in Orlando. And uh, soccer sort of reached a point where now to uh, grow further is sort of the hard part because it's hit a lot of obstacles that are just we're going to be there at some point. Now, Paul, how political is this election? Um, I think it's very political in the sense that at the end of the day, uh, the moving of votes, so to speak, which is from you know uh, people coming in here, say, to um, you know with one idea what they're going to do or being undecided, and actually deciding on a candidate is based upon a lot of arm twisting, and I don't mean it in a negative or a corrupt sense or a conspiratorial sense. It's just, a, it's just the, the process of people talking to people enough that they convince them that they should do something. And, uh, um, I mean, that's where for the uh, delegates, which are, uh, you know, members of state associations, whether it's youth or adult or leagues, whether it's MLS or uh, USL or NWSL or uh, NASL, um, you know, they will come in with certain things that they want to uh, be pushed forward. But in a lot of cases, uh, I think people just want to be heard. I think that's one thing that has been a common theme throughout, throughout this election and typically is, is through most elections is people don't feel their voices are being heard. And at the same time, it's, it's interesting that, you know, if you, if you follow the election, say, on uh, Twitter or social media, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, people have, you know, that, that, that fans and people out there have a lot of things that I think are important, but most of those things mean absolutely uh, zero to most of the people here. And not to say that they're right or anybody's right or wrong, it's just the reality. And before we get into the specific candidates or whatnot, we know you wrote about it, but for our listeners, can you just briefly explain the nuts and bolts uh, on the process of the actual election? Sure. Um, the election is uh, decided by the membership of the Federation, and the m- membership of the Federation is basically broken down into four groups. Uh, you have athletes, which are a group of 20 uh, current and former national team players at different levels, not just the national teams that we think of or the men and, nas- men and women, but the point being that they, they have a 20% interest in uh, the membership, and this is by federal law. And then after that, you have three, organ- three councils, so to speak, which are the pros, adults, and youth, which each share one-third of the vote. You have a few other individuals who have a vote in the election, which would be uh, members of the board directors, life members who are people who have sort of gained honorary status because of their service to the federation and to the sport. And uh, so, as I said, you basically have three equal groups, and then the athletes was 20%, 
and uh, that's the total that which is uh, determines the the vote. And uh, you have what's called weighted votes, meaning that if there are 100 people who are adult members, mm-hmm. and there are 200 people that are youth members, the adult members vote each counts twice to make it equal with the the youth vote. Mm. Um, so it's it's you know there's some math involved that you know that people need to understand, but it's it's you know the basic principle is that uh, you know the three three elements of the sport, which is pros, adults, and uh, youth. Have an equal share in the outcome, and the federal government wanted to make sure that adults, the sort of athletes, had a had a say in the sport, and that's not just soccer, but it's every uh, national governing body, mm-hmm. and so uh, they have a share. At the same time, the knowledge of each of the members in terms of what the issues are, or what the sports about, or how much they care about um, any various issues, um, uh, varies a lot. And what makes this unique, say, for the athletes, is that this is the first contested presidential election they've ever been involved in. So that you've had oh, athletes wow. who have been on the board for 10 years, and they, you know, they literally you know, don't have to do anything. Now they have been asked to make a decision that you know, uh, is perceived as being monumental, which is electing the next president in a very contested election. Dude, that's actually really interesting, Paul, especially when you talk about it actually being the first contested election for people on the Athlete Council. And I want to jump into one of the candidates uh, in talking about Carlos Codero, who wasn't discussed that much in you know the realm of, I guess, the media and the social media realm and whatnot. But when you were, depending on where you look, he hovers at about a 23% chance at winning. And to me, Paul, I think it's kind of interesting – is it true that whenever Cordero actually said that he wanted to run, that it kind of looked it kind of looked like he was breaking away from Gulati in sorts? That is true in the sense that he made that decision without Sunil's blessing, which was made even more not surprising but consequential, considering that he has uh, worked very closely with. Sunil over the last 10 years in the sense that, uh, right. um, you know, this is, this is how I got to know I mean, I, you know, I've known Sunil for 30 years and know him very well. And how I got to know Carlos Cordero was because whenever Sunil was at a function, Carlos Cordero was there with him. Hmm. And because of that, it meant that Carlos Cordero became, you know, uh, very knowledgeable about issues because of all the things that Sunil had to deal with. And also he became, uh, he got to know all the same people that Sunil got to know because he was around him all the time. And as some people say it, um, the reason why Carlos has had surprisingly so strong support is that among delegates, which are these voting members, whether it's right. youth, adult, or players, that he has been... Uh, Sunil's better half, so to speak, and I'm not saying it to disparage Sunil, but as the president, you know, you know, the reality is you don't have time for a lot of people. Where where Carlos, whenever uh, people were um, uh, around him, he he was more, you know, he he was, you know, he's more willing and you know, literally had more time to talk to him about issues that were important to him. So any number of people have said, well, you know, when when 
they want to be heard, which is again a big uh, a big theme of the membership. He's been someone who has been doing that, and so I think that's one reason why he's connected in ways that uh, people on the outside would never have realized. And also the point being that uh, Carlos is, by his own admission, not a great uh, public figure, and that he doesn't like talking to the press or or uh, um, in public. Not to say he, he doesn't he dislikes the press. He just doesn't mm. feel comfortable doing that. Right. I mean, Carlos isn't very big on Twitter either. But, Paul, let me ask you this. It's kind of a little late and kind of dumb for any candidate to do so, but why hasn't anybody dropped out and thrown their support behind another candidate? Um, well, I think the point is that, is that, you know, they've gotten this far, there's no reason to. You know, meaning, you know, if you're, you're going to spend all this time and money, you might as well uh, go, all, go all the way. What do you make of the diverse field of the eight candidates? Um, I, I think it's pretty easy. It's even though they're eight candidates, obviously you can stereotype them in that they're a couple of lawyers, four former players, right. uh, and two, quote, federation insiders. Yeah, people are considered uh, uh, establishment versus change candidates. You have candidates that you can break down into four and four, which are the, uh, the candidates with experience and the players without experience. Um, so from that point of view, it's uh, it's pretty easy to break them out. I think uh, a lot of it also depends upon uh, you know sort of a little bit how serious their campaigns are. Not to say that people are not serious, because at the end of the day, I have to say that whether or not I agree with every position that every candidate's taken, I can say that every candidate has spoken well on things that I think are worth listening to. So from that way, it's been a, I consider that a great campaign. Obviously, there are parts of it that I, you know, that I agree with people who said it's been a very a disappointing, or as Sunil said, a very disappointing and disgusting campaign, and I agree with that too. Um, but the point being that, that it's, uh, you know, there's a lot of discussion that's been made. I, I, you know, I'm also of the opinion that a lot of the issues are not something that a, that a president or the federation can consult, can solve because right. they're more local issues and they're mm. and they're more mm. issues of culture and society that have yeah. nothing to do with uh, with uh, a federation coming in and saying they need to do something or spend money on. And Paul, when we hear Kathy Carter, if you go on Twitter, you see her just get slandered or not slandered, just get attacked, and oh, Kathy Carter this, Kathy Carter that. What is your opinion of what Kathy Carter brings to the table? Um, I think that, you know, meaning if you took out the fact that she had worked for some, and, uh, mm-hmm. she would, you know, you know, I think she would be, uh, you know, that, that no, no, one would, no one would give her a hard time. I think, I think there is a little bit, there is mm-hmm. uh, 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 some sexism involved. Um, saying that she's not a soccer person, um, you know, and I think that's something that's a tough issue f- for her, just from the point of view of not being a woman, but forget it being some, but being a, as a business sales person throughout her whole career, and make make it seem as though she's not a soccer person. And I would say the toughest issue she's had is to present herself in a way that doesn't come across as she's a salesperson. 
not that she's a some salesperson or an MLS uh, salesperson, but that she's a salesperson. And I think that's a little bit, you know, was my going to be uh, um, thought of that was what she's going to have to deal with. And she's been that way, meaning that it isn't, you know, she hasn't had necessarily uh, always come across that comfortably. But again, uh, uh, she hasn't come across badly and she has mm. not hurt herself from the point of view that, you know, she was always going to have the bullseye on her more than, more those more so than anybody else, especially more so than even Carlos Cordero. Right. Now, Paul, obviously the public has no vote in this election, but the public has been very outspoken. Will that influence the vote some way? No. Plain and simple, no? No. no. I mean that I would be surprised if, if the two the two main players are, I mean, let's say the, the four players. Right. They're, if their combined percentage on the, on the first ballot was more than 40%, I would be surprised. Oh, wow. And why, why is and that? And the point being that um, if just because at the end of the day, you know, what they, um, partly it's the voting structure. Mm-hmm. Part, part of it is their lack of experience. And I think at the end of the day, the more the campaign's gone on, um, you know, uh, that's become more and more evident that that's, you know, that's just a divide that's very tough. Hmm. You know, I mean, Eric, when, I think Eric uh, Winalda, um, you know, uh, hit a peak. Right. And he also, uh, you know, his sort of, his pop, he had a populist message that is, uh, resonates with a lot of people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But he also, but also he, some of his, his incendiary remarks about the Federation uh, turned people off. And also the, the people, so, you, know, you know, the example being the truck around him just, you know, really hurt him. Uh, you know, you know. I mean, he doesn't. I believe him when he says he didn't know about it or nothing to do with it. But it, you know, it, it hurt him. And I think you just have to remember is that is that, and this is the tough part is that, uh, you know, the people who are making the decision, whether whether or not we agree with how much they know or whether they know the issues and support the issues that we as each of individuals involved in following the sport is they're all trying to do their best and they all are volunteers, you know, so that, you know, uh, when, when they and the, and the, and sort of the process gets slammed, they're going to become pretty defensive. Absolutely. Paul. And before I let you go, before we let you go, I just want to ask you one final question in terms of, if what kind of change, if any, uh, do you think we will see uh, uh, come uh, Saturday when the election is uh, all uh, all done? Do you think we'll see any change uh, coming out of this election, or was it all just talk? Um, I think the question is what what change people are looking for. I think, and again, coming out of election Saturday, you know, obviously, uh, if someone is looking for a change in you know, a week or a month. Right, right. Uh, obviously, that won't happen. But the point being that, you know, let's say within a year or two, 
Mm. I think that there will be a substantial change in how the Federation operates. And that's, to me, more the bigger issue than who's president is how is the Federation going to uh, listen to the people who are involved in soccer on a daily basis, whether it's a youth club Mm -hmm. or an adult league or a pro club trying to, each of them in their own ways, trying to do a better job and get better. Um, And I think that's something that the Federation uh, has not done a good job about is Mm. becoming isolated and colorblind. And I, whoever, whoever wins, and I believe that even, you know, people might not believe that someone like Cassie Carter would come in and shake things up, but I would imagine that whoever wins will shake things up in a good way. At this point, which is, you know, the only thing we can really uh, needed to start no, absolutely. Well, thanks again, Paul. And uh, if you guys want to follow him on Twitter, his Twitter handle is PKEdit. Anywhere else we can find your stuff, Paul, that you wanted to, you know, um, shameless plug here? You can read SoccerAmerica.com, which we, uh, uh, our website, and also our, our Soccer America Pro memberships, which you can uh, subscribe to by going to SoccerAmerica.com and, uh, and sign up. I would highly recommend that, listeners. It's fantastic reading. But thanks again, Paul, and enjoy the election. Thank you, Paul. Hey, you're very welcome. Well, there you have Paul down in Florida covering the election. Fantastic guy. I mean, he's been doing stuff for soccer for... Ever. Forever, yeah, seriously. Soccer America's a great read, guys. I definitely subscribe to it um, because he's got some great insight, uh, you know, obviously covering the election, but he's got some great things on MLS as well, so I recommend that highly. But Armand, can you name any former U.S. soccer president besides Sunil Gulati? I mean, you told me one, but I can't pronounce his last name. Well, nor so, can I, I mean, so I think we're so on the I mean, boat. I think, yeah, I mean, not really. And I mean, I guess when we look at we look back at this, we're going to realize that, like, wow, we actually care about the U.S. soccer presidential election. I mean, I think that means something. And let me just tell you this. All the things that Paul said, I think were spot on. And his blunt answer to if the, whether the public thinks that matter is true. And we're going to get to more of that after we're done uh, talking with uh, Jeff. But it's true. I don't, your, 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 your Twitter rant may have been noticed by one guy, but I don't think the voters will care. Mm. Yeah, sure. Sadly. Now, uh, it's funny because Henry Bushnell, he writes for Yahoo Sports. And he spoke with Bob Contenugla. He was the president of U.S. soccer before Sneil Gulati. And in one sentence or two, he literally takes out the entire field. And this is how the article reads. Contenugla, which I'm totally butchering. I apologize. As a past president, president, has a vote in this Saturday's election. Okay, He's supporting Carlos Cordero. And he, like Lottie, doesn't hold back on the other candidates. This is hilarious, Armand. He says, Eric Wanada is unfit to be president. And I told him that to his face. He says, Hope Solo is not equipped to be president and fragile. 
He says Kyle Mar- Martino doesn't have the tools nor the experience. He says the two attorneys, Steve Gantz and Michael Windegrad, are well-meaning but naive. Just takes a huge swipe at everybody but Kathy Carter didn't make this list. But it, it's a clear consensus that Carlos Cadero and Kathy Carter, it might, come, it might be a shootout be, between those two. I mean, that's what it's heading towards, and hopefully we'll get more insight uh, on this from Jeff. We actually have Jeff on right now. So welcome to the show, listeners. Jeff Carlisle, he's a soccer columnist for ESPN. You can follow him on Twitter, at Jeffrey Carlisle. Jeff, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Armand. How are you? I'm doing great. Jeff, you're actually in Orlando. How's it like down there? Yeah, I just I just got here. So uh, I drove up from Miami today. That was a little bit more of an adventurous drive than I, <laughs> than I bargained for. I should have remembered from my youth when I grew up down here. But, uh, you know, I made it safe. And, uh, yeah, just uh, getting ready to check into the hotel. And uh, we'll go from there. Well, Jeff, what is the latest update on who the frontrunner is? Well... <laughs> I mean, that's, it's been really tough to discern throughout the whole thing just because there's so many candidates and, you know, just so many <laughs> biases and, and agendas and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But I, I think it's coming down to, to Kathy Carter and, and Carlos Cordero. Um, if I had to pick between one of those, I think I would go with Carter. Um, I think Kyle Martino is kind of lurking on the fringes. Uh, I think Eric Winalda's candidacy... Still has a pulse, um, but you know, kind of fading. Um, and then uh, you've got the you know the, the rest. I think you know Gans will, will get some votes, um, and then you go down from there with with Winograd and, and Hope Solo and, and Caligari. Um, but I, I think you know just based on, on what I'm hearing, um, I, I think it's a two person race between Carter and Cordero. But I mean, it's secret ballot. And so the, 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 the most, the wisest thing I'd heard, I've, I've heard all week is that the only time you believe somebody is when they say they're not voting for you. <laughs> so I think that about sums up the, the entire state of affairs here with this election. Cause, um, you know, obviously everybody's being lobbied and, and politicked and, yeah. you know, uh, you know, we'll, we'll just, we'll wait and see on Saturday morning, uh, you know, what, what, what actually happens. Now, Jeff, you did mention Kyle Martino. Is he your dark horse to actually win the election? You know, I guess if, if someone were to get that tag, I think he would be it. Um, mm-hmm. He has to get the athletes' council, though, and I. Mm-hmm. And, and from what I'm hearing, is you know that's the way some people have explained it is it, it's going to be kind of a split vote on that first ballot. Um, if that happens, I don't think Kathy Carter will have enough to win on the first ballot, but it, and I'm, I'm also told that there's going to be kind of a lot of, you know, courtesy voting, like, you know, Hey, you're kind of our, our favorite person. We're not mm-hmm. sure if you can win. So we're going to vote for you in the first round. And then I think in rounds two, and if it goes to a third round, I think you'll see kind of more coalescing around candidates that can actually win. Um, and so I, you know, but we'll see, you know, We'll see how much support Martino is able to get. I mean, there there was obviously reports earlier about a, an alliance between him and Eric Winalda. Um, you know, I'm I'm not. First of all, I'm not sure if that's that's going to happen. And second of all, I'm not sure it's going to be enough. Um, you know, obviously Grant Wall reported today that uh, the, the NWSL votes, um, yeah. which amount to about 4.6 percent. 
uh, or maybe is it 4.8%? I'm getting my percentages mixed up. But anyway, those are going for Carter. She's mm-hmm. already got the, the, the MLS vote on the pro council. So you know, she's, she's coming into this with a really solid base of support. I mean, the question always was, could she broaden that support to get over the, the 50% threshold? So, um, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. If, if it goes to a third ballot, it, this could get chaotic. Um, oh, yeah. Because obviously there's going to have to be some horse trading that takes place in order to for a candidate to prevail. So, sure. Um, you know, we'll see, you know, who, who that ends up being and, and who blinks first and or who, you know, is willing to step aside. I mean, that's that's going to be a fascinating part of it. Do you, I mean, you you kind of hinted at it, but do you see a scenario where a candidate does drop out and then throwing, trying to get all that support behind this particular person? Um, you know, what I've heard is, is that there might even be a motion put to the floor to make candidate the bottom candidates drop out. Wow. Um, so that there's, 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 there's like actually nothing in the bylaws that says, hey, if you finish last, you've got to drop out. Um, yeah. So we'll see how much support there is for something like that. Um, but I, you know, I, I suspect at some point someone's going to realize, Hey, you know, I, I have no chance at this and, and, you know, they'll try to throw their support behind, you know, one of the other, one of the other candidates. I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be fascinating because I'm obviously both Carter and Cordero kind of represent more of the establishment wing, if you will. Right. And, and, uh, you know, when all that, and to a slightly lesser extent, Martino, you know, they, they are kind of more on the change, uh, reform wing, if you will. So, um, so, you know, again, we'll, we'll see what happens, you know, if, you know, it, it's just going to be fascinating to see which way, you know, people vote. I mean, you know, again, it, it I can't reiterate enough. It's secret ballots. I mean, someone could say to your face, Hey, I'm voting for you and then right. turn around and do something very different. So, um, you know, again, it, we'll, we'll see what, what the numbers post, but or what, you know, what the numbers or the actual tabulations uh, come to, but, um, but yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see if in the first few rounds, you know, if let's say that motion gets passed, we'll, we'll see if in the first few rounds, if it really makes much difference. Cause I don't expect solo or, or Caligari in particular to get much in the way of support. Mm-hmm. And Jeff should MLS, be worried about the election. I mean, they do hold a lot of power within USSF, and it seems like they have their candidate that they want they want as president in Kathy Carter. Are they, are they worried at all, or should they be worried at all? Well, I, I think I think they can afford to be confident, um, but I mean, I think there's always a little bit of worry. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's you just don't know how things are going to go. Um, and, you know, if, you know, we'll see if they would, would turn around and support Cordero if it, if it came to it. Um, if that was the case, then, I, you know, I don't think they would have ever put Kathy Carter forward. I mean, if they, they thought that Cordero was a right. palatable choice for them. So, um, you know, I think, again, there's so many moving parts to this. And so I, I think I think there'll be some anxiety. I think that's the best way to put it. I mean, maybe worry isn't quite right, but. Uh, I think there'll be some anxiety about how things shake out, <laughs> and um, again, we'll you know we'll see we'll see how what, you know how the votes you know actually fall when when people push that button. Jeff, what I guess association or organizations should we follow that could really swing this election? Well, certainly the athletes' council because they historically they voted in a block. Um, again, I'm told that one scenario was that they could. 
they can split their vote in the first round and then kind of come together in the later rounds. Um, I think the U.S. Youth Soccer Association is another one that has, if I'm not mistaken, I want to say, you know, three to four percent. And, and then, you know, U.S. Club Soccer is another one. That's, that's, that's another organization who, I mean, if they actually announce what they're going to do, um, you know, that's, an, that's another one to, to keep an eye on. Um, you know, the, I mean, it's, when you think the adult, the adult council and the youth council, you know, you think about the state associations and it, it, you know, I kind of fell into this trap. It's tempting to think of them as having half the vote, but really the state associations have about, you know, 46, you know, 45, 46%. And then then other organizations like us club soccer, you know, have their chunk and, you know, USU soccer association has its chunk. And so, um, so it's really less than half. So, I mean, hypothetically, a candidate could get all of the state associations and still lose. So it's, um, it's it, the, again, the dynamics of it are, are so complicated. Um, and it's, it's just been, I think this has all been kind of hidden from view, you know, for the last, you know, right. almost 20 years, because right. it, it was back in 1998 that that was really the last contested election, you know, when, when Dr. Bob Contaglia got elected. When he, when he ran again, he ran unopposed. So that was, you know, 2002 yeah. or so. And then we entered the, the Sunil Gulati era, you know, for the last uh, three terms. So, um, I mean, it's, there's, a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of institutional knowledge that certainly predates me. You know, I, I didn't start covering the game until, you know, 2002, 2003. Mm-hmm. And uh, certainly never really paid that much attention to USSF politics because there, there really were none. I mean, you know, Sunil Gulati would have the Athletes Council and then the Pro Council. And, and really, all he had to do was pick off, you know, a few state associations and he, he was there. So that's why no one ever ran against him. Um, so it's, uh, but, but a lot of this has been kind of, kind of hidden this whole process. And, um, you know, there have been contested elections, you know, at, at the vice presidential level, but, um, again, you know, it's obviously that didn't get near the attention that this has gotten. I wanted to talk about, uh, promotion and relegation because it seems like it's a very fun topic to talk about. And it seems like a topic that's talked about quite a bit, especially if you go on social media, such as Twitter and whatnot, and we've seen Eric Winala kind of build his campaign around that. We've seen Martino add that in his progress plan, wanting to implement it by 2030. But how important of a factor do you think that is in voting, if at all? Not very. Yeah, not very. I mean, I, I talked to quite a few voters um, for a piece I did. Uh, you know, I want to say it ran like a week or two ago, and mm-hmm. you know, I think. It, one guy brought it up on his own and, and the rest of the, you know, the, the potential voters that I talked to, you know, I had to bring it up, you know, like, Hey, how important is this? And, you know, some people said not important at all. And others said, well, it's, it's an issue, but really there are these other issues that are more important to me, whether it's, you know, the structure of youth soccer or whether it's, you know, the adult council getting its, its fees that it pays to the USSF, its registration fees, you know, cut, um, you know, I was talking to John Mata and he, he, he you know, confided to me that, you know, there've been some lawsuits because players got injured. So that, you know, they sued the USASA and so their, their insurance has gone up. And so, you know, all these things are kind of, you know, impacting, you know, their, their, their financials. And obviously that's kind of an easy thing to, to, to be for if you're one of the candidates, but you know, everyone, every constituency has got their little pet issue. And, um, 
I, I think, you know, it just depends on, on, on where you're looking. I, I think in the adult council, it's, it's probably a little bit more of an issue, uh, you know, promotion relegation. Um, I, I heard it from one youth soccer person. Again, this is not an exhaustive list. I mean, it was kind of a sampling, but I, I just didn't hear it coming up a ton. And, um, you know, we'll, you know, if a guy like Martino were to get elected, you know, we'll see how receptive the board would be. We'll, we'll see how receptive MLS would be. I, I mean, they're on record as saying, you know, not in our lifetime. So mm-hmm. then that's a, a kind of a showdown that could, that could get really ugly. I mean, it, it seems like the game is buried in lawsuits these days. Yeah. Um, it, it would it would make for you know an an ugly spectacle. I mean, I, I'm sure that the, the the advocates of promotion relegation would say, hey, that's worth it. But you know, you wonder how much how much damage would be done. And so I think the only people that would that would really benefit would be the lawyers. I mean, that that's yeah. kind of what, where we're at right now. But, um, and that's not to say that the NASL doesn't believe strongly in in an open system and and more transparency, you know, in the USSF and um, I mean, certainly the transparency issue, I think, is something that every candidate's gotten behind. So, um, but yeah, it's 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 a hot button issue in, in yeah. some circles. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I just haven't heard a lot about it from actual voters. Then, what issue is the the vote or the election really swinging on? Um, you know, I, I think there's transparency is something that's coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there are some some elements of both the youth and the adult who, who are kind of concerned about a takeover by MLS. Ah. And so I think that's where kind of the transparency issue comes. Um, but again, there, there, there are kind of these niche issues. Um, mm-hmm. Diversity is one um, that you know I hear quite a bit about. Um, that, that's mostly kind of in, in adult council circles. I mean, that's the adult councils, 10 men and 10 women total. I mean, we'll see, I mean, Brad Gazan's not going to be there this weekend. Leslie Osborne just had a kid, so she's not going to be there. So, I mean, it's all, you know, it, I mean, but even if some of the athletes council voters don't turn up, they still get the 20% no matter what. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, if, if some people don't show up, then their votes are weighted even more heavily. So, um, but, um, you know, I think without really saying it, I, I think there is a big push in, in some corners of the electorate to maintain the status quo. I mean, and, and that's not, that's something that's not, that's going to make a lot of people angry, um, especially those advocating for change. Um, but, you know, the, you know, especially on the adult council, there are a lot of longtime soccer administrators that have been there for decades. Um, the youth, you know, sector tends to have a little bit more turnover because people get into it because their kids play and then they, maybe they stay on. Um, but, uh, you know, there just tends to be a lot more turnover there. And then um, I think the, the athletes council, that's, there are like term limits involved in that, if I, if I remember correctly. So there's a fair bit of turnover there as well. Um, you know the pro council. I mean, obviously, the, the that's where you get into the the various leagues. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, th- those voters are are kind of maybe if they're not stagnant, they're certainly taking their marching orders from the same <laughs> general people. So, uh, you know, that's just kind of the way that works. And you mentioned 